we're here this afternoon to tell two stories. The first story we're telling is that Alan Lamont, who was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1938, has died. And we are reverently carrying his body to the place where it will be lovingly buried. The sheer brutal fact is that death has stolen Alan from us. Our old enemy, God's enemy, what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15, our last enemy, that old serpent, he's rattled his bloody saber, he sank his fangs and claimed yet another trophy. And we hate this. This is not right. This is not fair. This is not the way it was made to be. From one perspective, and for this we should give thanks, Alan had a good death, a peaceful death. I'm so grateful to Alan and Susanna. We live in a culture that has turned death into a secret. We hide it away in hospitals. We, we cloak it in our mortuaries. And Alan and Susanna, who know that water is thicker than blood, invited us into his dying. You know, in James, when it says, let the sick of the church call on the elders to come to them to anoint them with oil and to pray for them. You know what that means? And it's very basic. It means go to the dying. Touch them. So many of you in this room held Alan's hand. Sunday night, we were there, and he was holding Janelle's hand. So many deaths are not anywhere close to as graceful as Alan's. And for that, we give thanks. He was able to die in his home with his family peacefully. But despite all of the gifts that surrounded his passing, death has once again severed the cords of love. Shattered community and destroyed a life. Death is a thief. It's a destroyer. It steals joy and it is worthy of our anger. It is worthy of our grief. And so we're telling the story this afternoon of a death and something must be done with his body because bodies matter. They are sacred. And so we are caring for Alan's body, his remains. We're doing that with all the love and care and honor that befits one who in their physical body bears the image of Christ. But we're also telling another story. A story made possible by Jesus Christ himself, by his death under the weight of sin's condemnation and his resurrection from that death 2,000 years ago. We're telling the story that Monday night was not the first time Alan died. No, his first death occurred half a century ago when at the age of 28, 
As a graduate student in Boston at Harvard University, Alan Lamont was baptized. And as our Lord tells us in his letter to the Romans, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if, if we have been united with him through our baptism in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This was not the first time Alan died. And it's that story That is the dominant story. So the second story we're telling is that a baptized saint, a royal priest, a child of the high king, precious in his sight, a follower of Christ who's been traveling the path of faith is now traveling on. And we, the community of faith, who have been walking through this journey with this saint, continue this journey with him. We are carrying this body not to the abode of the dead, but we are accompanying his body with singing. And we are carrying him to the place of farewell where we commend him into the arms of God. And we are doing this singing psalms and Easter songs and we are weeping. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Not who those with stoic resolve don't mourn. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told that we should not grieve in the way people grieve who have no hope. There is such a thing as hopeless grieving. I've heard it. I've been near it. It is a shriek. It is an agony. Many of you know it. But there is, thank God, such a thing as hope-filled grieving. This is what Susanna said to me yesterday. I'm, I'm grieving, but hope is in the middle of it, but I'm grieving. This is one of the great ironies of the Christian faith. In in this strange calculus, in this strange twist, the Christian faith increases our suffering. It increases the suffering we experience in the face of injustices and cruelties and death. The victory of Christ on the cross intensifies our sense of how wrong this is. It sharpens our loss when death occurs. Seneca, one of the Roman philosophers of Stoicism said, Stop hoping and you'll stop grieving. Stop hoping, he said, and you will stop fearing. In other words, lower your expectations and you'll minimize your disappointments. Just accept the reality of fate and death won't be so shocking. And this perspective is having a revival in the guise of scientific materialism in our day. 
It comes in the form of a hard-nosed realism in the literature of authors like Cormac McCarthy and Larry McMurtry. It comes in the popular wisdom that we should just accept that our world is a speck. The short history of humankind, this view says, is nothing more than an insignificant moment in a doomed universe. Death is inevitable, and this is the lie. It is natural. To which we say, no, this is not natural. You know that in your guts. You know that with every miscarriage. You know that in every graveyard. So yeah, we have to face the the psychological pain of loss. But this this moment in our culture, there are people who are saying death is a non-negotiable fact. Learn to accept the inevitable. And yet the Christian story says, no, we do not accept it. It was not original, and it will not be in the future. I read this week of the death of a young man, a teenager, who died of a terrible disease at home. And in his dying moments, he rasped out in a whisper to his parents, what does impudent mean? And in shock, the dad said, A bold defiance. And the son said, put me in a stance of impudence. And that's how he died. This is the Christian view. Remember the great passage from Isaiah that Lois read to us. He will swallow up on this mountaintop the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord, our God, will wipe away tears from all faces. Knowing that, knowing that death is doomed, raises the stakes. Pain and suffering are more real for the Christian because victory is more certain. This is one of the reasons Christians mourn so deeply, so deeply. Our hope increases our sorrow, and yet to be a Christian is to know that baptism defines us more lastingly than mortality. This is why it is appropriate to have funerals in churches, in the places we're baptized. Remember that passage I quoted earlier, the passage from Paul's letter to the Romans where our Lord tells us, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Our baptism, it is a sign that we belong to God. This is why in James it says, let the sick call on the elders to anoint them, to remind them of their baptism, to remind them at their baptism they were sealed as Christ's own forever. 
We belong to the author of life who has risen from the dead and defeated death. And there will come a day, as we heard in Isaiah 25, when the Lord of hosts will make for his peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. So many of us are preparing for Christmas just 14 days away. And on that day, we'll feast. My family will be eating prime rib. And, more, like, and more, more than likely, we'll enjoy it with a really, really rich sauce made from a port wine and demi-glace reduction. And if any of you are going to be alone, or you don't have a, lo- a large family to celebrate with, we have a really big table. You're welcome to join us. Alan and Susanna have been joining us for several years. I hope you join us again this year. We'll eat and drink and we'll remember Alan and it'll be a joyful meal and it'll be muted by the shadow of death. Last year, some of you may remember that at this point in time I was on drugs. I had a herniated disc and um, through therapy and narcotics, I was making it. And I, I stopped taking those drugs a few days before Christmas Eve. I um, went off them cold turkey, and so some of you may or may not remember, but on Christmas Eve last year, I was in the midst of withdrawals. My body was reacting strongly to the withdrawals from these very strong narcotics. I, um, at the Christmas Eve service last year, I actually said that A Tale of Two Cities was written by Victor Hugo instead of Charles Dickens. The poet laureate for America to Antarctica, not a joke, was here in that service. And she came to me and said, so you imagine Hugo rising from the dead and saying to Dickens, even you I own, right? I have this. It was not my worst mistake. That that one's kind of funny. I I actually made a tragic mistake. In, In the day before, I got all confused and my limited math abilities cratered even further. And I called Martins and said to them, no, don't have the prime rib this size. Let's have it this size. And so when it showed up, my wife went out. And so it ended up that we had this huge group of people coming over. And I reduced the order to this little bitty roast. (laughs) This was the great tragedy. This was the end of my use of drugs. I remembered this this morning, early, early this morning when I was preparing for this, because I, I, rem- I was looking at this passage, this feast. Alan said, it's okay, Aubrey, I can't eat very much anyway. <laughs> you see, he was on his last round of the best that science could offer, and it took away his appetite. Our Lord is a better physician. And at this feast that is to come, Alan's going to make up. And the host of that feast will not have shortchanged the order. Alan, who is now in the communion of saints, 
He and I will feast together again. And he will eat. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're here this afternoon because death has done its worst and lost. Because the one and only God, Alan's God, has defeated death. Real death is defeated. Our hope is not some disembodied spiritual convention. Our hope is for new bodies with renewed appetites, for a real feast with real food, with real wine. Our God has defeated death. He's defeated the thing that takes our mortality, that takes our bodies and tears them apart. And he will raise this child of God to an imperishable and glorified body. We have gathered here to worship the one true God. And as we rejoice in the glorious promise of the gospel that Our God took on flesh and swallowed death. He swallowed it. And you know what it did to him? It did to him what Alan did when he swallowed death. It killed him. But he beat it. He rose from the dead. The hope is of the resurrection of the body and the renewal of all things. We are here because God is worthy of trust. Even in the face of death. We are here because death is not the last word. All over America, funerals are turning into into memorial services. And the crowd is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking to the family. This is not a memorial service. This is a funeral. We are here accompanying Alan's remains on their last leg of his baptismal journey. We are here because the baptismal journey leads to the arms of God. And the communion of saints. And our Lord Lord will return. And all shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of thing shall be well.